This is an Area Code podcast. Welcome to Season 2 of Wildwood Flowers, stories of women who built country music. I'm your host, Jack Peterson, a lifelong music fan and country music outsider trying to embrace a genre I've always held at a distance. Lots to tell you about Season 2, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but first, if you listened to the Season 1 episode on Sarah Carter, and I hope that you did, you heard Mama Molasses' gorgeous cover of Single Girl, Married Girl. to submit a cover to the podcast and for that and for her remarkable talent i will always be grateful whether she would claim this title or not i consider her a friend of the podcast and she needs our help her transmission went out in her car and she uses that car to make her gigs on top of that an album she's been trying to release has been derailed due to covid she's a hard-working talented musician trying to make a living doing what she loves and she started a gofundme to help her fix her car and get her music back out there on the road and into your hands please look up mama molasses on instagram for details about how you can help her out i'll also put something in the show description hoping it all works out for you mama molasses against the Midwest. I like the Midwest. I spent a good part of my life living in the rural Midwest, in Ohio and Indiana. I have an experiential appreciation for the Midwest, a love even. When I started this podcast, I set out to learn as much as I could about women who were making proto-country music in the 20s and 30s, and relaying what I could as honestly and respectfully and as appreciatively as I could through writing and music clips. Though there are flaws, I'm happy with how Season 1 came out, and I have the next four seasons mapped out, with Season 5 taking us to the end of the 40s. There are some big names coming, whose stories I'm excited to share with you. Rose Maddox, Molly O'Day, Texas Ruby, and Aunt Molly Jackson, just to name a few. I'm hopeful we make it. Season 8, if we get there, would probably take us through the 50s. That would be a dream to make it that far. Patsy Cline, Wanda Jackson, just imagine. 
There are so many stories that could be told, and I'm trying to give you as complete a picture of the early days of country music as I can, which means there are, out of hundreds of potential episodes, some artists whom I'm not that excited about. I won't tell you who they are, because I'm not here to rag on anyone's artistic output or life, and I'm committed to rendering the lives of these artists with the utmost respect. For some artists, it just takes me a little longer to learn about them, to feel familiar, to feel like I understand them in a personal way. I like the Midwest. Culver's, the Wisconsin-based hamburger chain, is a good thing about the Midwest. It's one of the few fast-food burger places that can accommodate my gluten intolerance, for one, but it's also a cut above in quality to other chains. Cheese curds, crinkle-cut fries, free scoop of ice cream for the kids, uh, Culver's is not sponsoring this program, by the way. I can't eat Culver's every day, though. Every week, even. Maybe a few times a year. Culver's is good, but it's uninspiring to me. I don't crave it. Maybe they could salt their patties a little bit more. I don't know. But when I eat Culver's, I get what I expect and I enjoy it, and I'm not interested in tasting every menu item at Culver's to determine what I like and what I don't. I don't think there'll be much to learn, and I'm not that interested in a nuanced take on a Culver's menu. Season 2 of Wildwood Flower is all about women of WLS's National Barn Dance. The National Barn Dance, the Chicago-based old-time radio program that targeted Midwestern farmers with a format that oozed neighborliness, sentimentality, and family-friendly traditionalism. In beginning the research for this season, I'll be honest, I felt like I had committed to eating Culver's every day for a month. Aside from a few artists I was excited to profile, I was uninspired. You may be feeling the same way at this point, and I'm sorry I've made you feel that way. But remember, it sometimes just takes me a while to get inspired. And it did happen. How, you asked? What turned things around? For one thing, the National Barn Dance put out two publications that won me over, seduced me with their canned, folksy charm. For several years in the 30s, the Barn Dance would send subscribed listeners a magazine called Standby. You can find PDFs of these online. Each issue featured a different member of the National Barn Dance, or the Old Hayloft Gang as they were called, on the cover. They didn't just feature the stars, either. Office staff, program managers, backup musicians, anyone who was part of the WLS team could be featured, it seems. The magazine contained fan letters, upcoming program information, station news bits, feature articles on topics of interest, notes and pictures of the stars, farming advice, homemaking tips, fashion trends, comics based on barn dance stars, and more. All charming, all innocuous, all very seductive and effective in making the reader, me, care about the goings-on of not just the featured artists, but everyone working on the radio program every week. Of course, it was carefully manufactured. Of course, none of the content would displease anyone or be controversial in the slightest. Like meeting a pleasant aunt and uncle for an after-church lunch at Culver's once a month. And they brought pictures, and order the same thing every time. The second publication was called the WLS Family Album, published annually, and it's exactly how it sounds. It's meant to replicate a family photo album, or a high school yearbook. Pictures of everyone from the radio station, with captions and little blurbs, updates on each. Everyone dressed in their smart suits and sensible frocks. You recognize the old-timers, you see them age, 
you want to know more than the blurb will spill. Both of these publications endeared the National Barn Dance to me. Throughout this season, I'll be sharing excerpts from them as ways to give a sense of how the image of these artists was cultivated by WLS and what listeners had to say about the Barn Dance stars. Another interesting aspect of the National Barn Dance that is inspiring to me in Season 2 is this very act of cultivation, this project of authenticity. It's a theme that endures in country music in some form, and probably most commercial music to some degree, and we certainly saw this theme develop in many Season 1 stories. In the case of the National Barn Dance, the question of authenticity is fascinating and how authenticity was manufactured and sold to a Midwestern audience with, in most cases, only a tenuous, second-hand experience with rural Southern music. There's a chicken-and-egg aspect to the National Barn Dance and its audience. Did the Barn Dance cultivate a white, old-time, pseudo-Southern and Western aesthetic because it was trying to target a white, rural, Midwestern farmer audience? Or did the white, rural, Midwestern audience demand programming that nodded to a romanticized version of South and West, without any concession of the multicultural influences on the sound that were creating country music? No blues, no Hawaiian slide, no Mexican or Cajun influence can be found in the National Barn Dance. It's probably a bit of both. The National Barn Dance, in projecting an old-time aesthetic of Southern and Western authenticity, succeeded in completely whitewashing the roots of the music they were airing, all in an effort to appeal to Midwestern farm families, the vast majority of whom were white. This might be dismissible as an unfortunate part of radio history if it weren't for the tremendous influence the National Barn Dance continues to have on country music. The Barn Dance started in 1924 and hired George Hay early in its programming run. In 1925, WSM in Nashville hired George away and he started the Grand Old Opry, modeling the Opry off of the National Barn Dance. While the barn dance was not able to endure past 1960, it did reach national prominence with a syndication through NBC Radio, and even a feature film in the 1940s. It is this influence of a program that manufactured a whitewashed authenticity that interests me, and we'll see how this happened as we progress through the season. So the National Barn Dance beat the Grand Old Opry to air by about a year, but that's not the only significant difference between the two radio programs. The National Barn Dance prominently featured women, unlike the early days of the Grand Old Opry, which is why the National Barn Dance is getting a full season on this podcast, and the Grand Old Opry is not. Each woman who sang or played on the National Barn Dance will not unfortunately get their own episode, though I do plan to talk about as many prominently featured performers as I can. I plan to end the season with an episode on some less prominent women of the Barn Dance. The barn dance was show business, and the women on the show did what they could to achieve a loyal fan base. Many times this meant taking on stage personas. Many of the women from this season take on two or more names through the course of their career. Some of these are self-chosen and styled, and some of these are personas created by program directors and managers. Without further ado, I'll list for you now the women of Season 2 of Wildwood Flower. If I had guts in place of shame, I would present this list like Outcast does in DF Interlude off of Stankonia. Go, Antoine Andre Pantasy, better known as Big Boy, aka Daddy Fast Sacks, aka Lucius Leftwood, aka Billy Ocean, aka Francis is a 
advantage. If it helps, you can imagine me doing that. Yes, indeedy. Oh, you ask me why I'm shaking. I'm excited. Cause I'm a taking that five fifteen. Episode one. Grace Wilson, a.k.a. the girl with a million friends, a.k.a. the bringing home the bacon girl, a.k.a. the queen of the national barn dance. So the thing to do, even you is uh, smart enough to get. I'll be all smiles tonight, Episode 2, Linda Parker, a.k.a. the little sunbonnet girl, a.k.a. Genevieve Munich, a.k.a. Jean Munich, the red-headed rascal, a.k.a. the red-headed bluebird, a.k.a. the old-fashioned girl. Episode 3, Lulu Bell, a.k.a. Myrtle Eleanor Cooper, a.k.a. Lulu Bell Wiseman, a.k.a. the sweetheart of country music, a.k.a. the queen of the radio. Episode 4, Evelyn Overstake, a.k.a. the singer of Dreamer's Bay, a.k.a. the Melody Maid, a.k.a. the Little Maid. I'm always singing Nighttime brings rain and we sleep on the ground. Episode 5, Eva Overstake, a.k.a. Little Eva, a.k.a. Eva Foley, a.k.a. Judy Martin. We'll travel on and keep pounding weather. I married a mouse of a man. Episode 6, Lucille Overstake, a.k.a. Winnie, a.k.a. Lucille Lee, a.k.a. Jenny Lou Carson, a.k.a. the Radio Chin-Up Girl. Greg once, why it's a darn sin. Episode 7, The Girls of the Golden West, a.k.a. Mildred Fern Goad, a.k.a. Dorothy Laverne Goad, a.k.a. Millie and Dolly Good. Boy wish me to look at his buck and brown coat. I want to be a cowboy sweetheart. I want to learn to rope and to ride. Episode 8, Patsy Montana, a.k.a. Ruby Rose Blevins, a.k.a. Ruby Rose Blevins spelled differently. I want to hear the coyote In my adobe hacienda There's a touch of Mexico Episode 9, Louise Massey just Louise Massey. Than blooming in the patio. Way out in Arizona, it's how they call I know now where the folks you meet all know a thing or two. 
Lives a lad of great ambition Who had set as his life's mission To excel upon his own today And he plays Episode 10, the Dezurek sisters A.K.A. Jane and Carolyn Dezurek A.K.A. the Cackle sisters In the evening in the cactus He would get a lot of practice on his Episode 11, The Coon Creek Girls, featuring Lily Mae Ledford, a.k.a. Lily Mae, along with Rosie Ledford, along with Esther Kohler, a.k.a. Violet, along with Evelyn Lang, a.k.a. Daisy, along with Minnie Ledford, a.k.a. Black-Eyed Susan. Like I said, episode 12 will cover a lot of women from the National Barn Dance who didn't get a full episode. Lots of great music, lots of great stories in season two. Even though we're diving deep and losing racial and sonic diversity, we are not ignoring what else is happening in music in the late 20s and early 30s. We'll touch on some concurrent artists and topics and go more in depth in season three, which promises to be more sprawling and promiscuous. I'm still asking for artists to submit cover songs of anyone from Season 1 and from any of these artists in Season 2. I've created several playlists from Season 1 on Spotify. You can find me at jspeteJS. I'm also doing a new thing, and I've created a suggestion playlist for Season 2 in case artists need a bit more time to record their covers. These are just suggestions, mind you, so feel free to move outside of the playlist for inspiration. Also, you don't need to be a professional musician to submit here. You don't even need to be promoting your music in any way. If you feel inspired and you want to contribute, please submit. In season one, we lucked out and had two stellar covers from Mama Molasses and Julia Reeves, Dan Klaus, and Matt Stutzman. It occurs to me that listeners might think I was being very selective, only allowing these two amazing submissions on the podcast. Nope, I just got lucky. These are, in fact, the only two submissions. They just happen to be amazing. Odds are, if you recorded your four-year-old singing Blue Yodel Number 9, I would have aired it. Actually, I would love to hear that. But the point is that I want you to feel inspired to create your own music. Take the risk. You can reach out to me on Instagram at wildwoodflowerpod or at gmail at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail.com. Ways to support the podcast are in the show description. I hope you'll enjoy this season. Next episode, Grace Wilson, the girl with a million friends. Thank you all for listening. Oh, I'm going to Atlanta, baby, man. I'm going to Atlanta, baby, man.